This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hello, folks. My name is Michael Weissman, and I hail from Chicago. By way of background, I have been a practicing attorney for quite a while, and my emphasis has been on commercial and industrial lending. Earlier in my career, I spent three years as the in-house general counsel and executive vice president of a Chicago banking group. I enjoy a close relationship with RMA, serving as an instructor for the commercial loan documentation course as the author of a monthly column for the RMA journal called The Expert's Corner, and as a member of the editorial board of the RMA journal. My book titled, quote, Commercial and Industrial Loan Documentation, end of quote, has been published twice by the Illinois Institute for Continuing Legal Education. I am active in the banking section of the Illinois State Bar Association and have served as an expert witness in banking cases. Now let's deal with collateral liquidation. The format we will follow is that I will raise a series of 26 questions and then proceed to answer them. However, if you are contemplating foreclosure and sale of collateral covered by the Uniform Commercial Code, you always should be guided by the following general principles. First, before beginning foreclosure, make certain that a default has occurred and that all necessary notices have been given to the correct parties. Second, take all steps necessary to maximize the proceeds from the liquidation of the collateral. And third, avoid doing anything that would release the borrower or any guarantor from liability for a deficiency. Obviously, for purposes of this discussion, it is assumed that as a foreclosing secured creditor, you have a prior perfected security interest in non-consumer collateral. So what are some of the preliminary issues to consider on a more broad basis? Ask yourself, do you understand the nature of the collateral to be sold? Is it unique? high-tech, a commodity, perishable, obsolete. Can it be sold with other collateral? Can it be inspected without disclosing a trade secret? Is it appreciating or depreciating over time? Do you really understand the marketplace for the collateral? Does it have broad appeal such that general advertising will attract the necessary group of buyers? Will the debtor's prior customers be contacted? 
Do advertisements have to be placed in trade journals? Must purchasers be solicited on a national basis? And can a trade name be used in the advertisements? Has a collateral inventory been taken? Has the collateral been photographed to evidence its condition? Has the collateral been appraised by an independent appraiser? And with the foregoing in mind, the following 26 questions ought to lead you, and their answers obviously, can lead you to a successful foreclosure and sale of collateral. First question, where do you find your enforcement rights? The secured creditor's enforcement rights are contained in your security agreement. They are supplemented by rights granted under other state laws. Number two, when exactly do enforcement rights arise? Under the commercial code, a secured party's enforcement rights under the UCC arise after a debtor has been declared in default. Third, what determines when a debtor is in default? The terms of the security agreement, not the UCC, determine whether a default has incurred. The UCC does not define the term default. Fourth, what obligations and duties are imposed on a secured party when the debtor defaults? First, the secured party must proceed in a commercially reasonable manner in both the collection and enforcement of the collateral. Next, the secured party must not breach the peace when taking possession of the collateral by self-help. Third, the secured party must dispose of the collateral in a commercially reasonable manner and give proper notice. Next, the secured party must account for, apply, or pay over any surplus proceeds of the collateral to any junior secured party or the debtor, a very rare occurrence. And the secured party is liable for failure to comply with these UCC requirements. What rights is a debtor not allowed to waive prior to default? The debtor cannot waive notice of the disposition of collateral prior to default. The debtor cannot waive the right to redeem collateral prior to default. So do not add these waivers to your security agreement. Number six, can a secured party take possession of the collateral after default? Unless the parties have an agreement to the contrary, after a default, the secured party indeed has the right 
to take possession of the collateral. The secured party's position can be pursuant to judicial process or without judicial process, so long as it proceeds without a breach of the peace. The Uniform Commercial Code does not explain what constitutes a breach of the peace. The term breach of the peace has been defined by the courts as, and I'm quoting, conduct that invites or is likely to invite immediate public turbulence or that leads to or is likely to lead to an immediate loss of public order and tranquility. So for example, repossession of a debtor's automobile while the debtor simply yells, don't take it, has not been ruled to be a breach of the peace when there was no evidence that the debtor threatened violence by holding a weapon, clenching his fists, or arguing toe-to-toe -to -toe with a repossessor. Now, when there is a default, the secured party should move quickly, hopefully in cooperation with the debtor, to seize control and get possession of the collateral. Prompt control of the collateral by the secured party can prevent problems that might arise from the attempted seizure of the collateral by the Internal Revenue Service seeking to enforce liens for delinquent taxes. Next, what can the secured party do to prevent the collateral from, quote, getting legs, end of quote, and disappearing? The secured party has the right, without removing it, to render equipment unusable and to dispose of such collateral on the debtor's premises. So locks on warehouses and storage buildings or storage areas can be changed, giving the secured party control over the collateral. Oftentimes, the secured party is well advised to provide a guard service or other custodial care for collateral that can easily be moved. Number eight, can the secured party notify account debtors after default to pay the secured party? The Uniform Commercial Code provides that after default, a secured party may indeed notify account debtors to make payment to the secured party. And they can be warned that continuing to pay the debtor will not extinguish their obligations. Next, number nine, can the secured party require the debtor to assemble the collateral? If your security agreement so provides, and even if it doesn't, after a default, the secured party may require the debtor to assemble the collateral and make it available to the secured party at a designated place that is reasonably convenient to both parties. This is especially important 
where the collateral is located in several different locations. Number 10, what duties are imposed on the secured car party after it obtains possession of the collateral? After the secured party obtains control of the collateral, first, the secured party must use reasonable care in preserving the collateral and the collateral, except for fungibles like a pile of two by fours, must be kept identifiable. 11, who bears the risk of loss and the burden of expenses after the secured party obtains possession of the collateral. The risk of uninsured loss remains on the debtor and reasonable expenses, including insurance that the secured party incurs are chargeable to the debtor. Number 12. Who may reclaim the collateral after default? The debtor may, any guarantor may, and any other secured or junior lien holder. When can redemption occur? Redemption may occur anytime before the secured party has collected the collateral pursuant to UCC procedures, the secured party has disposed of the collateral or has entered into a contract for the disposition of the collateral or the secured party has accepted the collateral in full or partial satisfaction of the secured obligations, something that we call strict foreclosure. What must a debtor do to redeem its collateral after default? The debtor must satisfy all obligations secured by the collateral. If the balance of the secured obligations has been accelerated, then the entire accelerated balance would need to be offered. And a new promise to pay does not satisfy this requirement. Full payment is required. And the debtor must any pay any reasonable expenses and attorney's fees if the security agreement provides for that. Number 15, can the secured party retain the collateral in full or partial satisfaction of the indebtedness? With the debtor's consent, a secured party may indeed retain the collateral in full or partial satisfaction of the obligations it secures, so long as no objection by a third party who is entitled to notice is forthcoming. In order to accept the collateral, the secured party must first send written notice of its proposal to do so to the following persons. First, any person from whom the secured party has received a claim of interest in the collateral 
next from any other secured party or lien holder that held a security interest in or lien on the collateral that was perfected by the proper filing of a financing statement or by compliance with the statute, regulation, or treaty, or any guarantor, or any other person holding a subordinate interest in the collateral. A search of the records for filed financing statements and other liens, therefore, is required before sending notice of intent to accept the collateral in full or partial satisfaction of the indebtedness. Number 16, if the secured party elects not to retain the collateral, but to sell it, must it give notice of intent to sell? Unless the collateral is of a type which is perishable or threatens to decline speedily in value, or is of a type customarily sold on a recognized market like stocks and bonds traded on a national exchange, a secured party that intends to dispose of the collateral must provide a reasonable authenticated notification of the intended disposition. And to whom must the secured party give notice? First to the debtor, second to any guarantor, and third to any other person from whom the secured party has received before notice was sent a notice of a claim to the collateral or any other secured party that 10 days before notice was sent held a security interest in the collateral that was perfected by the filing of a financing statement describing the collateral, indexed under the debtor's name, and filed in the appropriate filing office. And finally, to any other secured party that 10 days before the date of notification held a security interest in the collateral perfected by compliance with a local statute regulational treaty. Now, what must the notice contain? The notice of sale is sufficient if it, A, describes the debtor and the secured party, B, describes the collateral, C, states the method of intended disposition, D, states that the debtor is entitled to an accounting and the charge, if any, for an accounting. E, states the time and place of a public dis disposition or the time after which a private disposition is to be made. F, describes any liability for a deficiency. G, provides the telephone number where the debtor can obtain information about the amount required to redeem the collateral, and H provides the telephone number or mailing address at which additional information 
concerning the disposition and the obligations secured is available. The notification must contain all of the information listed above, or it is insufficient as a matter of law. It is not insufficient if it includes information not required or includes minor errors that are, that are not seriously misleading. The notices should be sent by certified mail or other deliveries so that the lender can later produce evidence the notices were indeed delivered. You should consider whether any facts have changed since the notice was sent and the date of sale has arrived so that the notice of sale no longer is completely accurate. If sales are scheduled to occur over time, the original notice may not be sufficient and additional notice may have to be given. In the context of a large scale collateral sale, you will often encounter a situation called an APA executed by a so-called stalking horse. In Article 9 of the Uniform Commercial Code, public or private sale is where the borrower cooperates in the sale with the lender, the borrower, and a prospective buyer usually entering into a so-called three-party asset purchase agreement. This is the APA. The APA is typically executed after the prospective borrower has done sufficient due diligence and has worked closely with the borrower and its critical vendors, landlords, and other related parties to ensure that upon transfer of the borrower's assets, the enterprise value of the defunct entity may be preserved. The APA is thus intended to effectuate a quick transfer of the borrower's business to a buyer as a going concern. What are some of the typical terms of the APA? In a typical APA, the parties agree to an Article 9 sale and a transfer statement or secured lender bill of sale, as it is commonly referred, and that is ultimately delivered to the buyer without any material representations or warranties as to the assets being sold. In such a sale, the secured party generally only warns to the buyer that it is entitled to convey title to the collateral in good faith, but disclaims most, if not all, of the warranties that otherwise would be given in a transfer of such property. The buyer agrees to take the collateral in its current condition and may also assume certain of the borrower's specified liability, but usually disclaims most of the borrower's obligations. The buyer's recourse to the lender is almost always contractually limited to the amount being paid by the buyer 
pursuant to the asset purchase agreement. The asset purchase agreement can then either be used as a stocking horse in a public sale. For example, the financial terms of the APA are published as part of giving notice to the public of the sale with the requirement that any competing bid must, exclude, must exceed the amount of the APA by an established amount in order to be considered a valid bid at the sale, or the APA can be consummated by its terms in due course in a purely private transaction. The question then rises, if this happens to be a sale of a, shall we say, modest amount of collateral, can a secured creditor bid at a public sale? Can it bid and purchase at a private sale? A secured party may purchase at a public sale. At a private sale, the secured party can only purchase the collateral if the collateral is of a kind that is customarily sold on a recognized market or is the subject of widely distributed price quotations, such as publicly traded stocks and bonds. The debtor should be consulted regarding the method and manner of sale. Will the debtor and other parties of interest consent to the secured party's disposition? Will a public sale command a better price because of attracting a bigger buying group? Or is the buying group so select that a public sale will only achieve fire sale prices and the collateral should instead be sold by private sale? If sold by auction sale, is the auctioneer experienced in selling the particular type of collateral, especially if it is unique? Should the collateral be sold in bulk or piecemeal? Should a bulk bid first be obtained and then compared with the aggregate from the piecemeal sales to see which yields the greater amount? And having mentioned the recognized market, what is it that we call a recognized market? A recognized market is one in which the items sold are fungible and the prices are not subject to individual negotiation. For example, the New York Stock Exchange is a recognized market, a market in which prices are individually negotiated is not a recognized market. So publicly traded securities are of a type customarily sold in a recognized market. On the other hand, individual motor vehicles are not of a type sold on a recognized market. We're up to number 22. And the question here is what factors determine whether a sale is commercially reasonable? First, the question of price. The fact that a greater amount could have been obtained at a different time or by a different method of sale is not of itself enough to preclude 
the secured party from establishing that the collection enforcement disposition or acceptance was made in a commercially reasonable manner. But there are comments to the commercial code which states that, quote, a low price suggests that a court should scrutinize carefully all aspects of the disposition to ensure that each aspect was commercially reasonable, end of quote. Timing of the sale. A secured party is not required to wait, hoping that price or the collateral will go up. If the secured party delays the sale and the price drops significantly, a court could determine that the delay in the sale of the collateral was not commercially reasonable. Third, preparation of the collateral. Although the Uniform Commercial Code provides that collateral may be disposed of, quote, in its present condition or following any commercially reasonable preparation or processing, end of quote, the right to dispose of the collateral in its present condition is not unlimited. It has been said that although courts should not be quick to impose a duty of preparation or processing on the secured party, that does not grant the secured party the right to dispose of the collateral in its then condition under all circumstances. A secured party may not dispose of the collateral in its then condition when taking into account the costs and probable benefits of preparation or processing, it would be commercially unreasonable to dispose of the collateral without such preparation. So if you are taking over a fleet of trucks and the paint is flaking off the body of each of the trucks, it is commercially reasonable to repaint the trucks. It is not commercially reasonable to offer them for sale in their then condition. The method of sale. The secured party may sell collateral at either a public or private sale. And although the secured party should generally be able to make the choice whether to dispose of the collateral either at a public or private sale in certain situations, Courts have held that because of the nature of the collateral, it would not be commercially reasonable to dispose of the collateral by either one or the other of the methods. Some other factors to consider. The number of bidders, the type and amount of advertising, the location of the sale, the adequacy of the description of the collateral, the ability of bidders to inspect and test the collateral, and whether the disposition was in conformity with reasonable commercial practices among dealers in that type of property. All of these are taken into account in determining commercial reasonableness of the sale. So, 
The adherence to proper procedure is critical. When a secured party has the sale conducted by a professional auctioneer, a reasonable number of bidders is present, and the potential bidders are permitted to examine the collateral prior to the auction, the sale is deemed commercially reasonable. But when the secured party fails to advertise the sale in a way that, way that will attract potential bidders, thereby providing an opportunity for self-dealing, the sale will be carefully scrutinized to see if it is commercially reasonable. So what are some examples of what, of what has been considered a commercially reasonable sale? First, a foreclosure of equipment advertised for three days in two different newspapers with a notice of sale being sent to 20 potential purchasers. Second, a sale conducted through a public auctioneer after expensive advertising through 500 circulars to prospective bidders and two publications in the local newspaper. 66 bidders appeared at the sale and the collateral was offered first in bulk and then piecemeal. Third, the sale of stock of a radio station after the secured creditor obtained an appraisal from an experienced media broker, extensively analyzed the different types of sales that would be available with a view towards using the kind of sale that would maximize recovery and obtained and relied upon expert advice expert advice in conducting a private sale and gave adequate notice to the debtor of the sale. Next, trucks that were sold after the creditor hired recognized experts on their disposition to aid in the sale. Advertised the trucks extensively after the initial bids were found to be too low and had the trucks repainted to make them more presentable for sale. And finally, the sale of equipment after it was moved to Houston where the demand for it was the greatest. An advertisement was published for two days in a Houston newspaper. Notices were mailed to 19 different equipment dealers and adequate time was provided for inspection. Now, in contrast, what has not been considered a commercially reasonable sale? First, in selling a jet aircraft, the seller did not advertise in any of the normal trade journals or publications, did not display the aircraft or do any work to make it attractive and the seller contacted only five or six aircraft operators and only one aircraft broker, and the aircraft wasn't placed for sale with him. Second, in selling drilling equipment, the secured creditor failed to advertise it in 
trade journals, newspapers, and other publications. It failed to employ an experienced auctioneer and instead used an attorney who was inexperienced in auction sales. It failed to clean and paint the drilling equipment. It conducted the sale in a snowstorm and failed to move the drilling equipment to a convenient location for sale. It failed to prepare an advertising brochure. It failed to offer the equipment both in bulk and piecemeal. Next, in selling amusement park information, excuse me, amusement park equipment, the creditor failed to prepare a list to show to prospective purchasers, advertise the sale only twice within five days of the date of sale. Visual inspection was difficult, testing was impossible, and the sale was solely in bulk rather than in bulk and piecemeal. And finally, a secured party conducted a foreclosure sale of a back home. The sale was sufficiently advertised, although all of it occurred in December, and the sale occurred in January. The court held that it was not commercially reasonable to conduct the sale of this kind of farming equipment in the middle of the winter, immediately following the Christmas holiday. The court correctly refused to focus on the reasonable sale or solely on the procedures to employ. Instead, it looked at the aggregate of the circumstances. So you can see that commercial reasonableness is a fact-intensive inquiry. But let's assume that you get over the hump of commercial reasonableness. How are the proceeds of sale applied? Cash proceeds are applied as follows. First, to the reasonable expenses of retaking, holding, preparing for disposition, processing, and disposition of the collateral. Those, of course, are the expenses of the secured party. Second, to the extent provided in the agreement between the debtor and the secured party, reasonable attorney's fees and legal expenses. Third, to satisfy principal and accrued interest due on the secured obligations. Fourth, to any subordinated party, if the secured party has received from the subordinated creditor an authenticated demand for proceeds before the proceeds have been distributed. And finally, if there has been goods uh, held on consignment to a consignor, if the secured party has received from the consignor an authenticated demand for proceeds before the proceeds have been distributed. Number 24, what is the effect of the disposition of the collateral? A secured party's disposition of collateral after default 
transfers to a purchaser for value all of the debtor's rights in the collateral, discharges the security interest of the secured party, and discharges any subordinated security interest or lien. Number 25, what happens if a deficiency occurs in the debtor or the guarantor challenges the reasonableness of the disposition? And there are many such cases. First, in an action in which a deficiency is an issue, the secured party doesn't have to prove compliance with the UCC unless the debtor places that compliance in issue before the court. So if the secured party's compliance is placed in issue, the burden then shifts to the secured party to prove there is compliance with commercial reasonableness standards. Third, if the secured party can't meet the burden of proving the disposition of the collateral was commercially reasonable, the deficiency is limited to the amount of the proceeds that would have been realized if the secured party had complied with the UCC. And this amount is usually presumed by a court to be the amount of the unsatisfied indebtedness unless the secured party can prove otherwise. The effect of this is to wipe out the deficiency. This is often called the rebuttable presumption rule. Finally, if the secured party is sold to the secured party, excuse me, if the collateral is sold to the secured party, or a person related to the secured party or a guarantor, the burden of proof is on the guarantor to establish that the amount of the proceeds is significantly below the range of proceeds that would have been received from a complying disposition to an independent third party. And finally, in keeping with the times, question 26, can a UCC sale be conducted over the internet? Well, there is case law that says it can, but the sale notice must include an actual street address where the competing bids will be evaluated. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I hope that you have a really great day. If you have any questions or comments, I can be reached at 312-543-6486 or at M. Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N, at L-G Attorneys, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S dot com.